Welcome to the first official Getting on the Green podcast. This podcast is about discovering real estate and the intricacies within it. We'll be talking to a lot of great guests, including uh, brokers, people in financing, lawyers, investors, and etc. Make sure you follow, hit the like button, and tell anybody you know about this podcast because the guests are going to be portraying incredible information that you are not going to want to miss. Today's podcast, we have Larry Gautier. He will be speaking to us about affordability. What does that mean? What does that mean in terms of real estate and such? So to give a little background on Larry, he was born and raised in Miami. He went to University of Auburn and got his Bachelor's of Science in Business. He has more than 30 years of real estate experience his philanthropic activities include the Orange Bowl Committee. He is the chair of the 125th anniversary of the city of Miami. He's involved in the Salvation Army Board of Directors, and his clientele include major companies such as Avmed, Burger King, Terminix, Ryder Trucks, and more. So Larry has an immense amount of experience and information that uh, he can pass on to us, and hopefully we absorb as much as possible. So without further ado, Welcome, Larry. It is great to have you on the show. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Craig, thanks for having me. Um, as you mentioned, I've been here a long time. been in real estate since 1980. Uh, started in property management. I've done leasing. I've done brokerage. I've uh, done sales. I've uh, done uh, corporate services, multi-market corporate services. We'll talk about what that entails a little bit later on. But basically working for companies and people you know, who have a real estate needs in multiple locations, whether it be local, regional, national, or international. So that's kind of fun. So I've been doing this a long time and uh, with NAI Miami, as you know, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with you. Okay, so tell me, why did you choose real estate uh, when you first got into this? Did you get out of college and say, you know, I'm going directly into this? Um, I mean, you got a Bachelor of Science in Business, so was that focused on real estate, or was that on business in general? Because I know my Bachelor's in Business had nothing to do with real estate. I kind of was oblivious as to what I was going to be doing after college, um, so I just got kind of a you know broad business degree in business management. So did you know you were going into real estate? Tell me why you got into it and uh, kind of where that came from. Uh, I had an idea I wanted to get into real estate. I just wasn't sure what discipline I wanted to get into. My father was a real estate attorney. attorney. My grandfather was a real estate appraiser. So I had some insights on, on the real estate industry, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a manager or an appraiser or a broker. Uh, so it was somewhat in the blood, but yeah. where exactly you fit in, you didn't know about yet. It, exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. So basically, I, I was at Auburn. And uh, I was playing competitive softball during the summer times. And it turns out my coach was a, uh, the head of a real estate investment for Prudential of America. They were a major real estate institutional investor. They had a large portfolio here in South Florida. And uh, uh, in the summer between before I graduated, uh, uh, he asked me what I want to do for the rest of my life. I wasn't sure. He said, why don't you come in and uh, work for me and manage to lease some properties, which I did. And that got my career uh, started. So what goals did you have when you were first getting into that? You know, like, did you expect to make the million dollars in, you know, three weeks, like some of these gurus promise online? Or, you know, what, what did you initially think when you were going into this as, you know, what, 
Larry's horizon would be and, you know, his projections. The, a lot of my friends got into sales and they were, they want to get the big, uh, big transactions, the big leases, a lot of the money. But a lot of my, some of my mentors, you know, the older, older folks, uh, including my softball coach, basically encouraged me to get into property management and landlord representation for the two reasons was, and they, they said, real, your career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And they, they said, you're going to have to have two things to be successful long-term. One, this is a relationship business. So you're going to have to have that, uh, learn, learn or have that, what they call it, heart of service, which means uh, just service, serving others. That's what we do in real estate. Really. So property management does that. You're basically having to, you know, uh, whether it's uh, push, uh, uh, cleaning up parking lots or whether it's uh, repairing things or uh, working with maintenance workers or contractors, you're basically fixing things and helping others. So by definition, that helps you that part of service. The other part of it was, was that uh, they said, Larry, to be professional, you need to have a working understanding of how things work. You know, such as uh, not to be an expert in construction or an expert in electricity or plumbing or whatever it may be, but to have a working understanding of these things would be very valuable to you uh, going down the road because people are going to ask you, what about this? What about that? And to, to have a little bit of a working knowledge in those areas would be very helpful in my real estate career. So that's so, how I got into it. So is that the type of thing that you would suggest to somebody, you know, go out, get experience somewhere else, um, you know, go learn Construction, even if it's for six months, a year, whatever, work on, you know, Habitat for Humanity or something like that, building a house. Is that something you would suggest to somebody? Uh, um, you could do it one of two ways. You know, people just starting out, obviously, if you're a property manager, a landlord rep, those are typically salary positions. So somebody basically wants to have the security of a, of, of a paycheck, per se, to start. Versus what? Versus going into a commissioned as a sales position, which is pure, pure commission. Now, some people... Uh, have the financial backing to to uh, get into that, do it that way. Some need a little bit of help on the front side. So there's no wrong, right or wrong answer. If you want to be a property manager, then you're going to learn it by dealing with your contractors and your maintenance people and so on and so forth just by being with them and, and watching that. If you choose to be a broker, uh, what I encourage people to do, uh, and I do that today with, with, with uh, young people I work with, is to uh, spend some time. Uh, uh, periodically with a, a contractor or a maintenance person or uh, hang with them a little bit, follow them around a little bit. See broadening the, see, the knowledge absolutely. a little bit. Absolutely. You're still, okay. w- back in my day, we didn't have cell phones and this kind of thing. We do, you do now. So you're able to hang on somebody's coattails and, and watch what they do and listen and ask questions and still do, still do your business. So that's a very much of a positive. So, you know, and that's another thing about learning is that we used to learn. That's how we learned. We would, ha- would hang with a seasoned professional. And we would watch what they would do and hear what they would say and ask questions as to why did you say this? Why did you do that? So that's how we learn. And nowadays, a lot of people just say, go out and do it and call me with questions. That's not the same type of learning. Okay, because you mentioned that you had a couple of different uh, mentors. Is that something that you would suggest, having multiple mentors versus, for instance, a main mentor that you go to? Or, again, going back to these gurus that you see online that you pay them an absurd amount of money and they promise you you know, rainbows and butterflies and shiny things. And, you know, is it better to have kind of a more diverse um, source, I guess, of your mentorship? Yeah, I think I think it depends on the person and how they're individually wired. Some people 
Uh, and there's no right or wrong answer to that. Some people basically want the pot of gold very quickly. So they're going to gravitate towards folks that basically will, uh, you know, you remember the uh, uh, Jordan Belfort in the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, basically you know, all these guys just wanted the money, just get to where they need to get, and however they got it. I'm not suggesting that, but, <laughs> but the, that's, that's, some people do that. Others like myself are more conservative. So to answer your question, I had, I surrounded myself with mentors that were older than me that had been in the, in the business, but in different areas of business, okay. uh, some in real estate, some not in real estate, because I think it's important to have a blend of, of, of real estate expertise uh, and also people that are not in real estate, but all have a business acumen that can kind of give you a different perspective on things uh, from a sales perspective. Uh, we're in real estate, but sales is sales and service is service. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, not what we say and what we do, but how we do it. I think it's very important to have like a diverse, diverse group of people. I even have to this day, even today, I still have mentors. I surround myself with different people. I still have older folks. That, and this uh, is after 30 plus years of experience, you still years. feel the need that you need to learn more and I do. surround yourself with people more experienced than yourself. I have I, on that side. And on the, on the other hand, I also have incorporated some young people. You know, like yourself and some of the other uh, other associates, because you all bring a different perspective on technology and trends and how things are. And uh, I've learned that you have to have a, a different uh, spread. So I, I want to hear different perspectives, and I also want people to kind of keep me honest mm-hmm. as to what I'm doing. Why I'm doing. Perfect sense. Sure. All right. So let's pivot a little bit. Uh, the main topic for today's episode is in regards to affordability. Mm-hmm. Yes. What does that mean? What is affordable? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very good question. I, I talk about that all the time, but, but you don't read about it too much in the papers. Um, we, in real estate, we talk about uh, the deal. We talk about rental rates per square foot. We talk about uh, people got this amount of money for, for, for the sale of the bill, and I got this amount of money for a rental rate for my landlord. If you read the newspapers and things of that nature. Um, all, all these articles are about rates per square foot, but they don't talk about affordability. Nobody talks about the other side of the equation of, 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 of what it takes for a tenant to be able to pay their rent and continue to stay in business. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that landlords have to drop their rents to, make, to be affordable to tenants, but what I am suggesting is that, is that we have a tendency to... Uh, sometimes uh, forget that if a tenant cannot pay, if they can't make a profit, then they're not going to keep their doors open. Mm-hmm. Mainly in the retail, retail and multifamily uh, 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 arenas, you typically a, a good business model is you have to have a, a percentage of in, in residential, in rental, uh, a percentage of your uh, income should be allocated to housing costs. Okay, they talk about twenty-five to to thirty percent. People talk about that as a as a gross number of salary. That should not be gross. That should be net. Mm-hmm. Pay bills on net, not gross. The same thing with uh, retail uh, uh, real estate, which is a big concern of mine because rents are going up so fast here. And obviously, who can afford to pay higher rents? Obviously, big institutions and corporations. But little mom and pa's, these the shoe stores and the dry cleaners and people that Provide the ones service. who know your name exactly. and give you that extra above and beyond service. Exactly, right. I call them the cheers. Where everybody knows your name, type mm-hmm. of businesses is rents are going up so high that they can't afford to stay in business, which 
which which is what I call affordability. So it's it's a it's a balancing act between a between a fiduciary getting the landlord the best highest rate that you can on the rent, but also being sensitive to the type of tenants who are able to afford to pay that rent and keep those doors open. Okay, so you I, I feel like you somewhat touched on this a little bit, but when speaking about affordability, is something deemed affordable based off of let's say for instance the piece of property and the asking rate or is it affordability are, are you supposed to look at affordability on an individual basis meaning can i afford something versus you afford something or again like i said does it come down to this is an affordable piece of real estate universally across the board this is affordable or do we look at it as more of an individual basis, like I can afford it, the next person can't, this person can, this one can't. So what, what would you say? I'd say on an individual basis. On an individual on basis. On an individual basis. Because if you're represent, if you're represent, let's, let's take it in, in different buckets. Uh, let's talk about on leasing first. If you're representing a landlord, your fiduciary is with that landlord to get the highest rent that you can. Having said that, uh, as a, a landlord representative, uh, we as professionals have an obligation to to basically when tenants come and want to rent space in, in our shopping center, we need to understand those tenants that that can that can stay and pay the rent and stay in business and those that can't and those that that can't we need to we need to basically not uh, we're not doing a service to our landlord if we do a deal with somebody we know will not be there a year from now and we're not doing a service to the tenant. So how how would a tenant be able to know that and how would like part two of that question is if that tenant was mistaken on thinking that they can afford it, but you deem they can't, how do you kind of break that news or, you know, bridge that gap between yourself and the potential tenant? All tenants, all tenants should have an idea as to what their budget should be for occupancy costs. So some sort of like sales volume That's projection. It could be, a okay. it could be a percentage of sales. It could be historical perspective. But it's the same thing in housing. It's the same thing with housing. If we're going to rent or buy a house, we want to make sure we buy something that's within 25 to 33% of our net income. That drives our budget for rent or purchase. But well, we see so often that people don't follow that. They so... don't follow that. Exactly right. They basically they, 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 go, they buy it or lease it with the assumption that things are going to get better. Not mm-hmm. that things are getting worse. Nobody ever thinks about the downside of things. So it's not our job as real estate professionals to do the job of the of the tenant or the buyer or whatever, but it is our job to basically, if we see something that's not, if we're representing the, the buyer or the tenant, to ask those questions so that drives the, the spaces that we take them to so we know they'll be successful or vice versa mm-hmm. if we're representing the landlord or the seller to make sure that if we go down this road, they're able to perform. So it's a, it's, a, it's what hat are you, are you wearing? And it's what we do as real estate professionals. Okay. Um, so what should people, let's talk about the right now, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, 2020 mm-hmm. um, in March. What are people supposed, or what should people be looking for right now that may be more affordable in general um, compared to three weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago, two years ago? What what does Larry think is the good piece of real estate to look for right now? Hmm. As an investor? Anything, whatever it may be, should people be downsizing because of, you know, the economic issues we're seeing? Should people be 
you know, trying to jump on opportunities? What any any way you'd like to answer? If I'm a tenant, if I'm on the tenant side, okay, looking to lease space, all right, uh, I should know my business model. I should know what I can afford to pay as, as a percentage of my sales. You talked about it earlier. And either I, I am hitting that bogey or I'm not. I'm using the golf term. Okay, there you like go. it. Love um, it. Getting on the green. The getting on the green. There you go. But, but shoot for birdies, not bogeys. Exactly. But, anyway. but, but, the, but basically, if either there should be a metric of what I can afford to pay. And either I am or I'm not. And if I am, then I move somewhere to either get better, a better metric, or stay within the same thing. If I am a investor, it's the same. It's the same situation. I'm looking at a, at a metric for return on my investment, whatever that may be. If I'm looking for a you know five percent return or eight, whatever it may be, uh, I'm looking for that. But the devil is always in the details. I find in today's world that people don't they get uh, half the story or three quarters of the story. And I think the key to successful tenants and successful uh, investors is basically getting the whole story, taking the time to do the due diligence to get all, all the facts. And I think that's where we as real estate professionals come in to kind of ask those hard questions of our clients to under, make sure we understand uh, their financial parameters, not only generally financial, but their, their customer base, you know, their, their existing customer base, uh, where, where the business is coming from, where it may be susceptible, because we're going through some challenges right now from the world economy. Uh, you don't plan for that, but you also take that in consideration. So uh, those kind of things. And it's a... Uh, it takes a little extra time to do that due diligence on the front side before you engage and in, in get into a contract or a lease. I think that's the, that's the difference nowadays, I think. It's just taking a little extra time. Okay, so let's uh, focus more on an investor's approach. Mm -hmm. um, so as, a, as the broker for the investor, they come to you. They say, Larry, I want to invest this amount of money. Um, currently, I have this investments or these investments in this area. Let's say, for instance, it's retail, or let's let's actually simplify. Let's just say it's warehouses. Okay. Would you, based off of the affordability of the market and this and that, would you suggest to your investor client to specialize solely in warehouses and maybe not purchase or build right now, or would you say, you know, I see that you like to specialize in warehouses, but you know, we can get a better investment in, for instance, retail or residential multifamily. Would you suggest to diversify or special, like keep specialized in an investment point and kind of feeding that back to the affordability? I, I would recommend specialization, uh, not only in product type, but also geography. Uh, the reason I say that is, is because, is because the more that an investor knows and is comfortable with a different certain product type and a geography, uh, the better off they're going to be. The reason is they have, a, 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 when I say geography, uh, closer to their home as compared to farther away, uh, people like to uh, keep an eye on their investments. Now, I'm not suggesting that they, they look just within a several block area of their of their home. But what I am suggesting is that they they invest in a product in an area that they're comfortable with. For example, I would group in, in, South, in South Miami, Coral Gables area. Uh, spent a lot of time in the airport west in Coral Gables, South Miami, South Dade. Uh, I'm not as familiar with, well, I'm familiar with all Miami-Dade County, but if I was an investor, I would probably invest in where I lived, where I grew up, because I might have a little more of a knowledge of that as compared to North Miami, Gold Glades Interchange, 
there's not that there's any you might ideas. notice more changes that, that go correct. on in those areas that's and be able to identify where I grew up, that's where i live i mm -hmm. i feel I, I understand the demographics and the logistics and things that does not mean that uh north miami is not a good investment that just means as if i put my investor hat on uh i want to stack the deck i want to basically go into something understanding that as much as i possibly can in regard to that product type of job so you might say in uh, in my uh specific uh, situation where I'm only in warehouses, it might not be a very affordable or great market for warehouses. You might suggest to me, hold on to my money, try and park it somewhere else for now, maybe in you know a bond or whatever it may be until you deem that, uh, that my warehouses are now affordable to invest in. Or, or you look in a different area. Uh, so you would sacrifice area before you sacrifice the product type. Basically, yeah. Okay. I think I think real estate is a very still is, is a safe bet. Uh, industrial is very very safe. It's not as volatile. People need to need to store space, store their goods and mm -hmm. their goods or, or provide services. So you're always going to have warehouses. Miami-Dade County is the average size of warehouses about twenty twenty five thousand feet. People think it's a large big box. It's not. It's smaller. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Singles and doubles will still get you home, okay? And that, that mitigates risk. Uh, you go get a real big box, an area, and overpay for it somewhere that you're familiar with. A lot of risk of that tenant, tenant or tenants move out. So I think I would I would expand the geographic area a little bit to go into areas and buy product type I'm still familiar with. Uh, maybe it's on the edge. It's, it's pushing the geographic envelope a little bit, but I, I still understand the product. It's still a familiar mm -hmm. being an expert in the product. That's right. That's right. More. Okay. Um, so when it comes to affordability, I know that there's some new age or, you know, more technology based, uh, sources of attaining funds mm -hmm. such as, you know, crowdsourcing and, uh, hard money lending and this and that. How do those types of, um, financing, uh, opportunities create an opportunity to, you know, basically make something more affordable. Uh, it depends on like like the like the hard lending that you talked about. Uh, that comes with a price. Yeah, that comes obviously with a price. All these different mecha financing mechanisms come with a price. It could be a risk factor. It could be an inter uh, interest rate. There's no good or bad. It just depends on on what your need is. How. how uh, the time, the timing of your need, and and most importantly, I think is 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 if you're able to if you're able to uh, accumulate on your own through traditional financing sources uh, as compared to these new new types of sources. I have a I'm a conservative by nature. I have a tendency to go to things I can understand. Uh, it's almost like Warren Buffett, the the Oracle of Omaha. Uh, who made billions of dollars? He invests in things he understands: ice cream, mm -hmm. trains, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same guiding principle with financing. Um, so you kind of don't put yourself out to, you know, pasture if you don't really understand what you're getting into, even if it might, you know, be promised by one person or another that you'll be better off. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, when the hanger nets come flying and times get tough, who do you want to get in the foxhole with? And and. And it's not so much of a, of a person as a, as a financing source or whatever. And I want to make sure that that I'm in a foxhole with a lender. And I, I'm very traditional. I, I think you need to have personal relationships with bankers or 
financial whoever it may be, because if times are tough, you want you still want to sit down and be able to talk to somebody. I think it's very, very important. And people, a lot of people nowadays assume everything is going to be fine. Everything's going to go always go up. Uh, I always advise folks that uh, that we can do invest in buy uh, that they that they uh, uh, increase the risk factor of things that may not go perfectly based on a, a perfect pro forma and annual increase in X percentage that they take into assumption some some uh, some uh, 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 tweaks in the road, if you will. And, and yeah, that's and, like the people having a zero vacancy factor in their uh, pro formas. That's you correct. Know, that's, that's just not, gonna not realistic. That's and, not realistic. You know, they they have to have something in there to show a, even even a best case scenario yep. of you know ninety eight percent occupied is fantastic. Yes, for the most part, you know, like so for them to have a zero percent vacancy factor, you know, that's just. And I'm and I go Basically back to my, and, and I go back to my original original comment. You know, when I, when I started, is I, I think I think having a little bit of risk is 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 is, is good. But I also believe in balance. I think mm-hmm. things need to be balanced at the end of the day. Uh, this is a whether in the real estate uh, uh, career or the business or you're investing in or leasing property. People look at it as a sprint, not a marathon. This is a long-term situation. Mm-hmm. I think people need. I to think look that's at that. a really important uh, yes thing to note when, especially when getting into it, that this is a long-term decision. Real estate is not very liquid. You can get your money out, but it's not the most liquid uh, product to store your money. Well, you know as well as I do. You you, you play, play golf as long as you have. Obviously, it's an eighteen-hole game, mm-hmm. and it's not so much at, at the, the front nine, but basically, it gets tough on the back nine. Absolutely. And we and we don't necessarily focus on that. And uh, I think I think take some time to kind of uh, think through those things, and and uh, I think balance is, is. I think I always use that word balance in, in everything that I do, investing, whatever it may be. Is it's a simple word, but it's a very important word nowadays. All right, so we're starting to run out of time slightly, so let me shift the talking points slightly. I'm going to put you out a little bit and have you uh, tell us a little bit of a plug on something that's happening in Larry's life. Do you have anything that's going on that you'd like to plug, any you know media that you're putting out, a favorite book that you like to read, anything that our listeners might want to know? that they can learn more about either what you're doing, what you're involved with. Go ahead. Okay. I think uh, one of the things you, you touched on at the very beginning, something I'm very excited about, which does have a real estate application, and that's the 125th anniversary celebration of the city of Miami. Uh, your listeners are probably wondering, what does this have to do with real estate? Well, um, I'm a founding family, uh, going back to 1892, as you, as you know. And, and we opened the first general store in downtown Miami, right at Miami Avenue and Flagler Street. That's our, I call that our Times Square. That's our, right, that's where everything started right there. The, 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 the thing I think about is that uh, with, with Miami, and the reason I got involved with the 125th anniversary is everything you read, everything you, people talk about is everything, everything is a uh, big deals and large deals and things of that nature and everything's up and up. I think I always focus on on those fundamentals that allow, you know, it's a construction analogy. Before you go up, you're going to go, you have to have a strong foundation. So I think with the 125th anniversary is one reason I took that on is that we have a zoning code called Miami 21. And Miami 21 was designed to basically smart growth, if you will, with the city limits of the city of Miami. 
Uh, it's worked well for uh, certain locations, going, going very high rise, a lot of these tall buildings, but it hasn't been working very well as it relates to the, the neighbors like Cayocho, you know, Little Havana, uh, Shenandoah, uh, those kind of areas where you can't go 80 stories to make, make some money. Anyway, the the uh, uh, on the on the 125th part of what we're going to do is going to try to uh, rework the uh, Miami 21 a little bit and just try to modify the zoning code to allow for more smart and small and medium sized growth, which allows people to do it. Uh, I talk about uh, or you've heard me talk about the rest of the story, and this is kind of part of it. We always we always read about the the big deals that are being done out there. So big deals, not necessarily. Good deals or smart deals. So, so I was. What you're gonna start hearing me talk about is uh, what's behind the deals. Not just somebody did a big deal in Winwood, but some of the things that uh, behind Winwood, demographics and other issues that people need to think about before they invest in Winwood, uh, infrastructure, things of that nature. So, 125th is a platform to basically make and hopefully make some changes with some very smart people to enhance real estate development, and obviously through this process to be, share. Uh, the rest of the story in regard to uh, a backstory about uh, how deals are getting done, why they're getting done, and uh, some other facts that you don't necessarily read about that is good for uh, for people to know before they invest their in, uh, in real estate. Well, that's excellent, and we will definitely have a link to your um, activities in our podcast bio. Uh, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you very much, Larry, for coming. Thank this you for is amazing. Me. Uh, definitely learned a lot. Uh, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast applications. Throw a like on the podcast. Uh, go follow Larry. See what he's doing. Uh, follow me. See what I'm doing. We'd be more than happy to help anybody out in any sort of uh, real estate need. Um, and other than that, we will see you next time on the green.